Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Ellie, unfortunately, is not with us this week, so I have replaced him temporarily with Catherine Rubino, also of Above the Law. How are you? Good there. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So what is up uh, on this yep. fine Thursday <laughs> There's a lot of record? things going on. I thought we might try something little, something different if you were game for it. Okay. Um, I, I mean, have... That- Seems like you're jumping right into something, but okay. Do you not want me to jump right in? I, I mean, that's normally not how things work around here. But well, I, okay. I mean, it's almost like you've never been on the I show mean, you before. Literally Instead yelled of you like this exact same thing the last time I co-hosted yeah. this podcast. And yet, I know. I just feel like it's like artificial, and you're trying to like force me into Ellie's role, and that seems weird. Well, I mean, would well, you, you have something you want to complain about? No, no, no. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I thought that. You know, having gone through this before, you'd be more prepared. Well, that's to why have I asked you to come banter. up with something that you wanted to complain about. I mean, if left to my own devices, <laughs> left to my own devices, what I would complain about is, you know, the problems that arise when you miss calls. Because are you missing calls? Are you spread too thin? Interruptions kill your productivity, but clients demand a quick response. The U.S.-based professional receptionists at Smith AI help law firms screen new clients and schedule appointments by phone and website chat. Plus, Smith AI integrates with your software, including Clio and LawPay. Plans start at just $60 per month. Get a free trial at smith.ai. Anyway, so your position is you don't like coming in here and having to fulfill the guest host's sacred duty of replacing the person who they're guesting for. I'm not sure you know what the word sacred means. I I mean, we take things very seriously here. This <laughs> Do is, you? This is, I mean, this is a professional podcast. We are literally recording in a closet, you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we are in a closet. That's fair, but... Like an actual storage room. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, it's, we're professionals, is what I'm saying. Um, Are and, you? Is that what you're yeah. saying? And so, yeah. So if you want to do something completely different than the usual Ellie format, I mean, that's a bold choice on your part, but I, I am willing to I am nothing that. if not bold. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I had an idea, right? I've okay. maybe been watching a little bit too much of the ESPN in this sports season here, but I thought I'd come up with a list of legal hot topics. So do a quick... Little, I have 10 questions, but we'll spend two minutes on each of them. What's your hot take on all these burning legal questions? So you want to do a PTI style rundown of legal topics. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stuff that's been in the news recently. It's not, you don't necessarily want to talk about it for 20 minutes, but it's all stuff that people are talking about right now. Okay. All right. I mean, look, it, it, I, I'm, I'm in for this other idea. Uh, I'm fine to have a, a uh, listen, bantery gotta, fight gotta, about this. Yeah, mix it up a little bit. Um, can you put two minutes on the clock? I, I can do that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Question number one: Kim Kardashian wants to be a lawyer. Will she make it? I actually think that if she sticks with it, she probably will make it. Uh, it seems as though she has taken actual initiative to have an apprenticeship. She seems very committed to doing the work. Now, will she pass the California bar, which is That is the real difficult. question here, right? If you're actually going to be able to put Esquire at the end of your name, I, you got to pass the bar. I mean, 
I don't know. That that one I'm going to go with a 50-50. Um, there are a lot of people who have failed the California bar who should, you know, by all rights should be practicing lawyers. There are a lot of people who are practicing lawyers in California who probably shouldn't be. So uh, I give it about <laughs> a 50-50 shot on that front. The real question is whether or not she's going to be willing to keep up the hard work that she's currently putting in to being, do this. Becoming a lawyer through the apprentice program in California, I believe, takes longer mm-hmm. than just going to law school. Yeah. Right? It takes four years, I think. Is that right? Yeah. And you have to take a intermediary test. Yeah. So it seems like a lot more kind of work and effort and a lot more time. But I mean, what else is she going to do? Make more perfume bottles designed like her ass? Yeah. I mean, she's she's already complaining about the fact that it she had to work like 14 hours in one day. I mean, th- that does suck. Like, you've been a lawyer, you've had to work 14 hours. Yeah. It's not great. No, it's not great. And you complain about it. You just don't have one point whatever million Twitter followers. Right. Like, it, it, yet. Anyway, but no, <laughs> but no, it, that's gauntlet a, thrown. But no, that, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, there, there's a certain level of, I don't think that the problem for her is that she won't be able to do work. It's that she has done some things that suggest to me that she may not have the, mindset yet she also, to do this. you know, hasn't even gone to college, right? So in terms of her ability to stick with an academic program, there's it's fair to have some questions about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there could be some issues. We, I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I, maybe 50-50, but if she sticks with it, I think Don't worry, we will follow it closely at Above the Law. All right. That was the air horn. So uh, what's next? All right. Everyone's talking about Bill Barr's testimony yesterday, particularly how Kamala Harris handled it. Do you think that Kamala Harris's performance will be important for the 2020 election? No. No? I mean, I mean, this is a problem that we have around here, especially because Ellie, uh, for those who don't routinely watch cable news, Ellie is increasingly on cable news. And so I because of that, I've seen more cable news than I am inclined to watch naturally (laughs) and just watching it like there's this real crazy universe of people who for some reason believe that the world is watching c-span all the time and they are not they are not but i you have to i mean these things are trending on twitter you now have all clippable versions that are everyone's getting on their phone in terms of you know their twitter feed and whatnot and the thing is this is a moment where having a prosecutor on your side is a good thing right for in terms of the left wing of the democratic party she's having a moment right now it's the good side of having a prosecutor if we ignore the whole putting truant parents in jail thing. Right. So if we overlook all of the actually... There are legitimate qualms that people have about Kamala Harris. But I think that if she's going to, you know, have a moment surge, this seems like a good way to capitalize in it. She had some great clips from yesterday. Yeah, she had great clips during the Kavanaugh hearings, too. Like, I just just really don't think that anything that's happening now is going to move any needles. Sure, but, you know, I mean, think about it. Um, when Hillary testified on Benghazi for like the 18th time, all of her approval ratings went way up when she handled her, the way she handled herself. I think that people tend to respond very positively to the dynamic of a hearing. Uh, when someone handles themselves very well, people react. And I think yeah. that, you know, long term, I don't know how long these hearings go on, who else will get called, what other, you know, proceedings might be a part of it. But the longer I think that Kamala is able to do this, she will be in the spotlight. And I think that that helps her candidacy. And it makes the fact that she was a prosecutor get a good shine on it in a way that just talking about her record may not. Okay. Okay. Also, more on Bill Barr. Has his reputation taken a hit because of his performance in yesterday's hearings? 
I cannot be more annoyed with this hot take. Uh, and I have Go seen for it, it, man. I have seen it. Uh, Huffington Post has an article about it. Ezra Klein tweeted about it. I do not understand these people who want to talk about Bill Barr having a reputation hit because of his involvement in everything yesterday. Bill Barr had a horrible reputation long before this. Bill, do tell. Go Bill into Barr the details is, here. Bill Barr is the person who was brought in by the first Bush administration to squelch the Iran contract. And not everyone's old enough to remember Iran Contra, so go into a little bit that's of detail there. Oh, yeah, so um, th- th- that's an excellent point. Back in the long ago times, before Thanos killed anybody, there was... <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, that's from, I know, but that's still. from the movie before. Like, know, if they haven't like seen the movie... Years ago, yeah, if they haven't seen the movie before, then they're in real trouble. Anyway, the point is, he the Iran-Contra affair was this controversy where a bunch of Republicans in the Reagan administration with or without the president's knowledge, but almost definitely with George H.W. Bush's knowledge, were selling weapons to the Iranians in exchange for getting hostages out. Uh, and part of part of it was that they were then taking a bunch of this money that they were making off of that because it was illegal to give that money to the Contras in Nicaragua, and they were taking this money they were getting from selling these guns and getting hostages and then sending that down to Nicaragua. And it was all sorts of corruption on a massive scale. And when it came time to penalize people for this, Bill Barr stepped up to the plate and made sure that it all went away. Uh, he's So this very much seems par for the course, his treatment of this president. Uh, what's amazing about people saying his reputation has taken a hit is that his reputation was as a cover-up artist, and he covered something up. That is not a hit. That's... That's a... That, that's, it's not, that's a, a, it's a, not a bug. It's a feature. A, exactly. A feature, yeah. not a bug. All right. Uh, more about reputations, but has Don McGahn's former White House counsel, has his reputation improved as a result of all the details in the Mueller report? Sure. I mean, I mean, look, it, whether it should or not, like, yeah, it appears as though Don McGahn was a a somewhat unwilling participant in some of the most awful shenanigans of the last couple of years that got uncovered in the Mueller report. And he was a cooperating witness. That's that said, he is absolutely a person who stuck around through all of that so that he could do all sorts of other awful things like the way in which we put multiple people who have been rated as not fit for the judiciary on the federal courts to sit there for years and years and years. That's all Don McGahn's business. So I'm not sure I'm ready to rehabilitate him entirely, but sure, he he seems to have a a line in the sand. He also has, you know, made a really good case for taking notes as a professional <laughs> good thing. Yeah, I guess that, that was the the key takeaway of the Mueller report for those of us who are are actual practicing lawyers. We learned that when we all thought that taking notes was a good thing, we learned that at least somebody in this administration agreed with us. So, yeah. All right. Next question. Moving out of the world of politics for a minute here, um, but Walmart just appointed a general counsel of health and wellness. True or false, is the general counsel of health and wellness as big a sham as wellness itself? Yeah, I mean, I'm not not the world's (laughs) biggest fan of wellness and mindfulness. I Like, look, people should do things to take care of themselves. But I mean, mostly I think of that as a kind of stupid buzzword that's utilized to convince people not to care about the actual material problems in their lives. And lo and behold, a company that is notorious for not paying its workers enough for them to eat 
seems to think that the answer is not a raise, but instead to make sure that they can throw a lawyer at the problem. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the most glaring problems, that, at least from a PR perspective with this hire, right, is that literally they teach employees how to go on federal assistance or state assistance for food. And you're not improving the quality of your life because you have a GC of health and wellness. You're improving the quality of your life if you can afford healthy food or any food, frankly. Well, that's the question. What does a GC of health and wellness do? I'm not sure exactly. Oh, you know, it's a new position they've just appointed it, I guess. I mean, it's not like a health and wellness like coordinator who's like coming up with programs. It's a lawyer. So one assumes that what they're actually there to do is, you know, stifle health and wellness. (laughs) Like that seems like that's all that could possibly be. Uh, You know. I can see I can see how that could be true. I mean, maybe maybe their position is to, you know, handle situations where maybe in like a compliance kind of Uh, way, like workers compy sorts of issues, maybe it just seems it just seems so ridiculous. I just can't understand. I mean, the worst part about this job when I saw it was I'm concerned that this is about to become the new hotness that now all of these companies with all sorts of PR disasters are going to say, well, we've got an idea. Is there a way that we could give a lawyer six figure or six, seven figures to be the uh, GC of health and wellness? All right. Sticking with the healthcare tip, uh, the DOJ recently switched its position on the affordable care act. Is that the end of healthcare in America? I mean, some background on this case for people who haven't been following it. Basically, a real outlier of an opinion came down. A judge said that the ACA should be all thrown out. Nobody believes this opinion. It makes any sense at all. It is widely criticized. There are Republican judges who have heard the exact same case and said, no, there's no way this is true. It's almost assuredly going to get swatted down. Now, that said, to the extent that exists... The DOJ's position had been, well, you know, that's not what we were really arguing for. We were arguing for this limited thing. They have now decided to lean into this opinion and say, let's get rid of everything. <laughs> lean into the crazy seems to be a theme of this administration. Yeah. And it it honestly, I don't think it's like the end of anything. I, I just think it's a really poor strategic move, you know, like now all of a sudden what the government's doing is almost guaranteeing they're going to take a major loss. And I don't think that they're quite gauging how popular this program has slowly become. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there were some days where it wasn't. But at this point, invalidating this, especially a complete invalidation, which is what they're trying for, even if they were successful, which I don't think they would be, uh, it would be the sort of thing that could be really bad for them. If it happens any time before the election. I mean, listen, the the polls when they tried to push for the repeal were pretty clear on that. There's a reason why they pulled back from that stance from early on in the Trump administration. Yeah. As a as a from a litigation perspective, this just seems like a poor decision. Like when you I, I've never gotten it myself, though other people in my firms have that the opinion that goes much further than even you would and <laughs> even like, you know probably oh. is too far. Like it's an awkward moment. It's a moment where you, that you don't lean into because you know it's going to get bad for you. And I just don't understand why they think this is a good idea for them. Yesterday was May 1st, which is also Law Day. Sure is. Is Law Day a sham, Joe Patrice? Uh, yeah. Uh, Law Day is a horrible... So you wrote something actually about the history of how it actually got started. Yeah, Law Day Day is a propagandistic uh, kind of... Ploy. Ploy, yeah, troubling ploy. Uh, It's International Labor Day in the Eisenhower administration. There was an effort to make this Law Day instead of Labor Day. But the implication of that is unions are 
not law and order, we are for law and order, which is probably, you know, not the best look in the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Law Law Day, I wrote a thing about not just on this facet of how you know, Law Day doesn't really mean what it thinks it does, but also just remembering that the law as an institution uh, for all of the high-minded, seeking justice, public interest, granoli things we like to think about it, uh, Warren Court loving, being mad at the Supreme Court, more often than not in the American history, the Warren Court is an outlier. More often in American history, law is very much and has always been very much on the side of stopping justice and holding back progress. And so to the extent that Law Day exists and has to exist, especially with this kind of dark history that it has, you know, it's probably, I think, a better time for people to remember that, you know, the bad things that it's done and reflect on that. Yeah, and to kind of tie it into another news story, the Clooney Foundation for Justice has started Trial Watch, which is a international program which sends monitors to trials in order to kind of shine light on what is being given the veneer of legality through courts throughout the world, right? And saying, and eventually they want to be able to rate different countries and different judges and say, these are not good and these are good. And I think that it's the same sort of thing when, you know, we don't want bad things to get that veneer of legality. Yeah. Judge Jim Lammy, who's a criminal court judge in Memphis, is oh, yeah. in hot water for, among other things, sharing articles by Holocaust denier David Cole that called Muslim immigrants foreign mud and other terrible things. Can he be impartial? I, I, Should he be a criminal court judge anymore? No. <laughs> Full I, stop. We're yeah. done. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah. Like, what gets me is obviously there are a lot of horrible people on courts at all levels, um, and, and many more thanks to your your buddy Don McGann. But the <laughs> I just asked a question, man. The, the, the problem the problem with this is that I mean, in some ways, it's it's a good thing. Like we know because he does these sorts of things. But I don't understand how stupid all of these judges can possibly be that they. They, it's almost like they don't think people read social media. Uh, and they put up there these, I mean, Holocaust deniers are a special, ki a special kind of thing to go find. You, you got to do some work to find those and share them. <laughs> and so uh, a judge doing that is... Yeah, it's not mainstream media here. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that very it's very appropriate for a judge's impartiality to be called into question when they share this kind of stuff. If somebody shares, you know, these racialized slurs, why would you ever be comfortable being either a lawyer or a defendant in his courtroom again? And that, that seems pretty obvious and a reason, a very clear reason why that person shouldn't be on the judiciary. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like a hard a hard question at this point. I mean, but this is this goes back to the more fundamental problem in America, right? We elect bunches of judges, and to the yeah. extent that we do that, we it's invite not great. not great. We invite this kind of lowest common denominator to occasionally end up making decisions, and unfortunately, we also end up in a situation where there's not always a solution to that problem. You know, elitism is not my favorite thing in the world, but there's there's certain arguments for, especially in the legal case to uh, uh, embrace it as a way of making appointments. Okay, cool. The Democratic Emoluments Clause case against Donald Trump has survived a motion to dismiss. Is this a good thing? And how does it affect 2020? Meh. Meh? You're, yeah. you're not enthralled by the case? You don't care? I think it's interesting. I think it's probably true. I don't know as though it has much impact at all. Like it, This is another place where Ellie and I have a disconnect. Like The, the ultimate impact to this 
the only actual legal consequence to any of this is an impeachment, which I am capable of counting to the number 67. So I know that's not happening. <laughs> sure. So. But I do think that, you know, having it in a court also means it's a distraction yeah. um, for Trump. Sure. And, you know, to the extent that you're looking ahead to 2020, I think that it is something that uh, the candidates can rail against. And it's not something that's going to be easily a victory for the president. So it's not like it's going to clear him in any way. So I think that keeping these sorts of multi-fire, you know, know, attacking from many different fronts is probably a good thing. What we've seen really is that the president has a hard time focusing on what's really important and gets very distracted by the shiniest object that, I mean, there's a reason why all his buildings are gold, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think that to that extent, it's certainly useful. It doesn't appear to be pulling anybody off of, you know, sort of more important work or better work or anything yeah. like that. So I think that it's a, it's a good thing. Well, that's why I'm not against it. I, I'm just meh. Like, hey, glad that it's there. Keep going whatever. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Glad I mean, it's not you. Yeah. Like, it, I guess there is a value to it. It is not the the value that I think a lot of the people who... It's not a silver bullet. A lot of the people who go on cable news seem yeah. to think there's this ultimate impact to it that is not going to be there. It's them, I, but, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's also just kind of human nature that people would like their... People who are opposed to the president would like there to be an easy answer. Right. There's not. We yeah. have to wait to 2020. Sometimes, sometimes things are hard. And that's a, that's a thing that some people don't quite get. <laughs> The ABA did a survey of civics literacy. They asked 15 questions pulled from the naturalization exam. Only 5% of those surveyed got all the answers correct. 5%. That's that's terrifying. Uh, Are you terrified? My question was, are you surprised? I have actually done the immigration test as a practice before when I was helping somebody pass it. And uh, it it is very easy. Um, <laughs> well, good news. I have the questions here. Are you willing to put yourself against, uh, are you can prove you're in the top 5% here? I, I think I could be in the top 5%. All right, it's see. a multiple choice question. So make sure you listen to all of the answers that are possible. Question number one, what does the U.S. Constitution say shall be the supreme law of the land? A, state constitutions. B, articles of confederation. C, the U.S. Constitution and only the U.S. Constitution. Or the U.S. Constitution and authorized federal statutes and treaties. I, I, I feel like that last one probably is the uh, the more correct answer. That is the more correct answer. Uh, Forty-seven <laughs> percent uh, of those answered said that the U.S. Constitution and only the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So that's not great. Yeah. But you know that at least is like a right-ish answer, right? Yeah. I mean, well, no, it, it, it it's part of the right answer. Yeah. And I'm not, that's not horrifying to me. Some of these are, might be horrifying. Okay. Uh, Question number two, the idea of self-government is in the first three words of the U.S. Constitution. What are these words? A, I pledge allegiance. B, we the people. C, might makes right. Or D, yes, we can. Is it it ready to rock? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. um, What's the answer, Joe Patrice? Wait, the first three words of the Constitution, is that the question? Yeah, we the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. you got I, it. I literally was not listening to any of the options. I just started going with three. I mean, words I really like that. Might makes right was a great an answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number three: What are the first ten amendments to the U.S. Constitution called? A. The Declaration of Independence. Jesus. B. The New Deal. C. The Bill of Rights. D. The Ten Commandments. <laughs> I am I am so hoping that the most cor- most often checked answer was D, but it is in fact the Bill of Rights. It's the Bill of Rights. That's correct. Um, and that was the most common correct answer. The Declaration of Independence came in number two at eighteen percent. That's a shame. Uh, question number four: 
Uh, which one right or freedom is not in the First Amendment to the Constitution? A, freedom of speech. B, freedom of the press. C, the right to vote. D, the right of people to peaceably assemble. Uh, yeah, voting's not there. It, it seems like choosing C is a, is a good answer, generally. <laughs> well, that's true. Most multiple choice tests. Question number five, what did the Declaration of Independence do? A, freed slaves in Confederate states, gave women a national right to vote, declared our nation's independence from France, or D, declared our nation's independence from Great Britain? France is, they, they, that, they that thought is they, were gonna, they were going to slip that one C. by that. that is, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with D. Uh, one in ten people thought that the Declaration of Independence freed slaves from Confederate states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I got the right kind of. Like. I'm just saying. Uh, I think we've made the point. Uh, this is not a difficult test. It's not. Uh, and that five percent is uh, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not. That's not good. So uh, they also. But you know. But you know, our, our country's full. We don't. We don't need the immigrants because the people who are already here getting five percent are enough. Uh, so we'll skip ahead to the rest of the questions. They're all pretty easy, but this one is a little bit um, shocking. This was like one of their bonus questions that they asked as part of their Law Day survey. Does the First Amendment permit you to burn the U.S. flag in political protest or no? I mean, the First Amendment, as interpreted by a number of court decisions, would say correct. It, it yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, less than half got that correct. More, yeah. 54% of those asked said that the First Amendment prevents people from burning the flag, which there is the go. exact opposite. Yeah. Which is a little disturbing. Yeah. Well, fair enough. So, yeah, th that was interesting. So, I... Uh, I guess I'll uh, go question with you uh, because we've got a little bit of time here. So big law firms, office space design questions, mm -hmm. glass everywhere, or no glass everywhere. How do you feel? Um, listen, I am naturally not the most organized person in the world. I lean towards the messy in my life. Um, and I feel like all glass walls put a lot of pressure on you to keep your office organized and presentable, um, which is probably a good thing, but also a little bit terrifying. Uh, and I, it would be a little stressful, I think, if I had to have an office with all glass walls and I'd be constantly worried that I wasn't neat enough for a stranger walking by. I love that neat enough is your problem, not... Yeah appearing obvious to the whole rest of the world that you're not currently working on something. I feel like you can angle your desk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like there's a window, there's usually a wall or windows behind you. You can usually I mean, that I, I embrace the panopticon when it comes to big law work. I feel like uh, get more efficiency out of people there, you know? That seems terrifying. Keep everybody, yeah, everybody on their toes. No, I mean, I just, I like the natural light. Um, that is certainly a benefit of it. Private offices or shared offices, like you have thoughts on bullpen systems. They, these are all new very, trends. Very anti-bullpen. I think there's a recent article in The Atlantic that the rise of ear pods are actually becoming so popular in offices because people no longer have walls, uh, that people need a little alone time, time where they don't have to answer questions constantly um, and socialize, you know, even outside of just the big law environment where you have client confidences and whatnot going on. So I think that having at least a share, I mean, if, listen, if you want to put a couple of junior associates in the same room, whatever. I did that when I was a first year associate. It's fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. But I think that a pure bullpen system is is not ideal. The only way I've ever seen it where I was like, oh, I think I could make this work is a situation where the sitting is kind of bullpenny, whatever, that's your like home base, but that there's tons of little conference rooms, tiny spaces, 
closets, if you will, <laughs> uh, that you have the option to go to and that you're not tied to any one desk, that system, I think, works. It can't be a bullpen where that's your desk somewhere in the bullpen, but it can be a situation where you have a little storage space, but otherwise it's kind of an open campus design of small rooms and stuff like that. I could see that. I mean, I think it's harder, especially in the legal profession, because there's a lot more sort of accoutrement that go along with it. You always have like the exhibits or the the cases, and there's a lot of printouts. There's a lot of paper that kind of accumulates. Even in paperless offices, there's still a lot of paper. Um, and so I think that it makes it a little bit more challenging. And I think kind of inverting that relationship where you have your own kind of private space, and then there's also an option for lots of collaborative kind of work to go on is probably how I would prefer to work personally. Yeah. Well, cool. That brings us mostly to our time here. So uh, do you have anything else like big finishes sorts of situation or are you good? Uh, I wasn't expecting to be put on the spot like that, but no, I mean, uh, we talked a lot already. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, thought, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I thought that was a, that was a lot of energy in that episode. And then it came to such a, going out with a whimper kind of ending. Well, I thought we kind of, I thought you were going to answer the questions so you'd be correct and then we'd be like, peace out, Joe's perfect. Mm. And I thought you would enjoy that more than anybody else. But you know, mm. you're currently yeah. my only audience member. So I thought that that was a good position. Yeah, fair enough. Well, they're not the only audience member. At the because moment, this in show, the future, in the future, there'll be other audience This show has members. tons of audience members. In the future, there'll be an audience, but at the moment, it's not like we're live streaming, it's not right? like It's not like it's the Jabot or any podcast like that. Wow. No. So, yes. Wow. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, the Jabot is another podcast Sorry. that Above Law hosts. It's only hosts been in existence that, like a fifth of the time that yours has, so. True, but uh, that Catherine hosts, so be sure to check that out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You should always be subscribed to the podcast so that you get new episodes when they come out you should be giving it reviews stars write-ups whatever all of it helps to get it out there and up in the algorithm when people search for law podcasts they run across it obviously also listen to the jabot listen to the other offerings from the legal talk network uh, that are run the gamut of subjects and be on the lookout for sometimes we're guests on those so you should be doing all that you should be reading above the law you should be following uh, us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, spelled, well, you can see her name in the description, uh, spelled like that, but with a numeral one afterwards. And with all of those things said, I think, oh, and ah, wait, what am I, what am I saying? And obviously, thanks to Smith AI for sponsoring this show. And with all of that, I think we're done and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.